0: Next book up is Amos. Um, he was probably around the same time with Joel, maybe you know 50 to 100 years after Joel. And if we just go through Amos himself, he wasn't a prophet by profession or anything like that. He was just a, a herdsman. And if you go to Amos chapter 7, verse 14, it says, I'm no prophet. Neither am I a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Um, so it's just, I guess, what do you call it? Know, a humble guy, but um, God was able to use him to spread his word. Um, and again, you get here the theme of Amos is the judgment of sin. So again, God is able to use Amos to, to give a warning not only for Israel, but all those kind of countries around Israel and Judah, um, to warn them about the upcoming judgment that God has planned um, for the world. And I guess you know such is the character of God that you know He He doesn't bring about judgment without first giving an opportunity for repentance, and um, and He'll use kind of anyone who is available to to spread that. Um, that message in this case, it's Amos. You know, if you look at modern times, it's, it's us, you know, we're, we're here as a light and a testament. And, you know, there is an upcoming judgment, obviously, as we know. And as Nathan's mentioned, the day of the Lord, and as we've discussed, and, you know, we're here as our purpose is to, to spread the gospel. Um, in that sense, now Amos was around the days of King. Uzziah, um, so that's chapter one, verse one. Um, so he was the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, um, two years before the earthquake. So, um, kind of gives you a pretty accurate kind of timeline of when Amos was. Um, if you've ever looked at the charts that we went through when we were doing Kings, um, first and second Kings. And if you put all the the names kind of in order, you realize that Uzziah, who's also called Azariah, uh, and Jeroboam, they're kind of halfway in the list. So we're not quite at that stage where the kingdoms have come to to an end per se. So again, you know, such is the character of God that, you know, these um, prophecies of judgment are well before the actual judgment comes. And so obviously lots of opportunity for, for people to to repent. The kings at that time, uh, if we look at second kings chapter 15, 1 to 7, you'll get to know a little bit more about Azariah or Uzziah. He was a good king, um, did did well. The 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 nation of Judah was quite well, well off during his reign. You can read about him here. Lots of cattle, lots of, um, farms and things like that. He was quite, I guess, successful and wealthy king. He did, I guess, have one downfall. He was the king that actually burnt incense on the altar of incense, um, which he wasn't supposed to do. He wasn't allowed to do. And he was actually became a leper because of that incident and his son, uh, ruled in, in his stead, um, until he died. Um, and if you we can also read about um king the other king of so that was king of Judah, Azariah, and then obviously king of Israel, Jeroboam. Uh, much like most of the kings of Israel, he was um an evil king. And you can read about his life in 2 Kings 14, verse 21. And that's just kind of give you a background of um the goings on going on of, of the of the two nations at the time. Um a little bit more background about Amos as well. Um, if you go to Isaiah chapter one verse one, and it says, "The visions, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah." Again, it's the same king that's in Judah: Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Um, so, my understanding that Isaiah is actually the son of Amos, um, if I'm not mistaken. And then also um, if we read Hosea, um, chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, the word that came unto Hosea, the son of Bariah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Josh, king of Israel. Um, so Hosea and Amos were obviously kind of in the same time period. Um, so and as well as, I guess, Joel and Isaiah, they were all kind of within that same kind of time span. Um, so, I mean, if, yeah, if you want, I guess, a bit more of a background of um, what's happening, obviously, you know, read all those books. And, you know, read the whole Bible, I guess. Um, the book itself, obviously, is prophetic. Um, being one of the prophets, you can divide it, I guess, into five sections. You get the, the pronounce, pronouncement of judgment. So that's chapters one to two. You get the inevitable divine judgment um, because of sin, and that's chapters 3 and 4. You get God pleading with Israel to return to him. That's chapters 5, verse 1 to 15. And then you get some, I guess, what you'd call phenomena um, uh, of the coming judgment, and that's chapters 5, verse 16 to chapters 9, verse 10. And then chapter 5, you get the final restoration of Israel. Uh, so that's section 5, chapter 9, verse 11 to 15. So just kind of quickly going through the each of the sections. So the pronouncement of judgment, um, chapters 1 and 2, you get various cities mentioned. So you get um, Damascus. Um, they're one of the cities that's actually led into captivity. You get Gaza, which is kind of in the Judah area. You get Tyre, which is one of the cities that is on the on the Mediterranean Sea, um, and that, that city in particular was a trading city. It was made very wealthy by its commerce, um, you know, from dealings with all parts of the world. You know, it's a type of city that trusted in its own wealth, had no regards of God, um, and, you know, you can read more about it in, you know, all the prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And they give a lot more detail as well. Um, and they outline, I guess, more so the, the sin of, of Tyre, um, as opposed to what Amos writes here. So, and also, you know, Tyre itself is just a great picture of, of the world. And so it's, I encourage, um, people to just go out and, uh, do some research. Like I said, you, you read a lot about him in, in the other prophets. Um, you have, you know, the, the country of Edom, which we know is the descendants of Esau, um, who's always very antagonistic towards Israel. Yeah, there's not much more to say about them. Um, again, you can read a lot about um, Edom and you know just just the way they act towards Israel and the way they have no regards for God and the things of God. And truly, you know, characteristic of their father Esau, who who wanted the blessing, but you know. Didn't really have any any place for God in his life. Um, you get Ammon, Moab. Um, you also get, obviously, Judah and Israel themselves included in the in the pronouncement of the judgment that is to come. So, like I said at the beginning, you know, like the character of God is not to bring out judgment without um, first giving an opportunity for repentance. And um, I guess. At the time of this of the writing here, I guess the, the known world would have been all those cities that we've just mentioned, and so you can you can almost say that you know the word of God has gone out to the whole world and is is telling them of the coming judgment and is essentially telling them to repent. Um, and Israel, in particular, we'll, we'll gets a major mention in Amos. You know they had an immoral lifestyle. And It says, you know, despite God clearing the land of Canaan from the Amorites from before them, bringing them out of Egypt, they just just completely turn away from God. And if you know the history of Israel, you know, with the start of Jeroboam, the king who, you know, set up various um, altars and idols and just, I guess, it was from that point onwards you kind of really see Israel as a nation just kind of away from God and it's, you know, king after king of Israel is usually an evil king with the occasional good king. Um, and you get that expression, you get an expression here in Amos chapter 2, verse 6. And it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and four will I not turn away its punishment. Um, and it, it's the same kind of expression you get in Proverbs, at the end of Proverbs, you know, three, three things are wonderful unto me and a fourth. It's, I feel like in this context that it's, it's, you know, God's being patient with them, you know, if, you know, he would bring judgment upon them for three things. And yet they've gone above and beyond, you know, it's three strikes and you're out. And these guys are up to four, you know, five strikes and they're just, they're just continually, um, doing evil. Um, and that's specific to, I guess, the the children of Israel. Um, the second section, chapters three and four again, it's, it's the inevitable judgment of sin, um, for inevitable judgment due to sin. Um, It's the divine judgment from God upon sin. Um, and it's Amos in particular speaks, I guess, towards Israel and the northern kingdom. So you get the judgment against Israel. Um, you get the end of the northern kingdom for the time being. So as we know, of the two captivities, you know, you get a remnant come back to Judah, but Israel itself, um, to um, till this day, are still scattered amongst the nations uh, and they won't be gathered back until future times, which we've discussed, you know, um, the day of the Lord and, you know, in the millennium, you know, the whole nation will be brought back together. You know, you get the, the city of Bashan is mentioned, which is Samaria, Um again, you know, you see the hypocrisy yeah with those people and they deal badly with the poor and then bring, bring sacrifices to God um as if they were without fault um, again that's just not only is, is it a characteristic of the time that this was written up I feel like if we look around you know it's you can you could probably say that this is kind of the characteristics of um the world that we live in now even the the religious world, where people are just hypocritical, um, you know, they they deal evilly and um, they deal badly with people and yet, you know, they think they're righteous or um, they think they're without fault. And, you know, God time and time again, you know, tries to, to bring them back, um, you know. We've, we've just spoken about um, the prophet Joel and how there was the locust. God brings in, in Amos, he mentions that, He holds off the rain in hoping that they would come to their senses and turn to him and realise that, um, you know, they're going through difficulties because they've turned away from God. You know, he brings blight and mildew. Um, So this is, sorry, this is chapter 4, verse 7. He goes, I've withheld the rain from you, um, yeah, three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and cause it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece upon which it was rained upon with it, which it rained not with it. Um, so two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, unto me, says the Lord. And it goes on further. I've smitten you with blight and with mildew, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees Increased and the palm of worm devour, devoured them. Yet you have not returned unto me, says the Lord. So time and time again, God is trying to bring them back to him. And yet it's just, there's this just complete disregard for God. And, um, eventually, you know, in, in chapter four, verse 10, then he goes, I've set among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. And it just, it just goes on. To just men's mention, you know, you know, there's death and there's destruction brought upon them, and yet they have not returned. You even get some cities being destroyed, such as you know, the same that happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet people, uh, despite all these things that were happening around them, despite all these signs, people were still not um, turning to God. And um, the, the third section, which is um, chapter five, verse one to fifteen, you get. God pleading with Israel to return to him. So, in fact, all these kind of pronouncements of judgment, these actual judgments come to pass, and God is yet pleading with them. Um, Again, such is the character of God. Um, You know, it's just so merciful. You know, know, this this whole book of Amos is about, you know, judgment, and yet um, in all of that, God is wanting to give out mercy. He's not wanting to bring about judgment. He wants the people to turn to him. Um, Chapter 5, verse 4, For thus says the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek me and you shall live. You know that the whole section from 1 to 15, he outlines their sin. And despite this, this, he offers them a chance to return. Verse Verse 14 and 15, which is the last two verses of this particular section, it says, Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you, as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good, and establish just justice in the gates. In the gate, it may be that the Lord, God of hosts, will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. So again, God is, is absolutely wanting them to to return from from their sin and from their evil. Fourth section, which is chapter 5, verse 16, to chapter 9, verse 10, you get, the again, more of the coming judgment, and you get, again, the day of the Lord being spoken of, which we've just discussed um, before. And it's it's interesting that... um, a lot of people actually um, look forward to this day. Um, if you look at the time of the Lord Jesus, even his disciples were looking forward to the coming kingdom because, as we've said, you know, in the day of the Lord, you get two aspects, you get the judgment and the blessing. But a lot of the people kind of skip past the judgment and want to go straight to the blessing. But it's it's not so if there is judgment. And um, we've heard from Nathan say that, you know, it's a terrible time. If you look at um, chapter 5, um, verse 18, it says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Um, to what end for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not night. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. For he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even dark and no brightness in it? There is definitely a very real aspect of judgment um, associated with the day of the Lord. And again, you see another characteristic of this is that God no longer accepts their sacrifice and their worship. Um, And I guess that's in the later half of chapter 5, yeah, verse 22 to 26, you get that God no longer accepts their sacrifice. And again, like if, if you read, you know, Revelation, you see parallels between what's written here by Amos and what's written about the future, where you know um, the end of days, the dead day day Lord, people will be at ease, and then um, then suddenly destruction will be upon them. And like Basin was saying, you, know, you get the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then the second three and a half years of the tribulation are really difficult um, time, um, like like nothing we'll ever see before. We move on to chapter 7. Again, this is Amos. He's from Judah, and he's speaking to Israel. Um, and the king of Israel, Jeroboam, is, as we mentioned, he refuses to acknowledge the coming judgment of God. Chapter 8, verse 11, we get a famine of the word of God. And again, we'll see that, obviously, after the remnant returns from captivity between, I guess, the last book in the Old Testament and the time of Lord Jesus, about four or five hundred years, where there is um, no spoken word from God. Chapter nine, verses two and three, there's no hiding of, from God. Again, a characteristic of the, day of the Lord. Chapter nine, again, verse eight to nine, there'll be a remnant of the house of Israel spread throughout the nations. And again, that's um, uh, the current prophecy. It's a prophecy of Amos that is currently ongoing, um, in, in, that the nation of Israel is spread among amongst the, 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 nations and won't be gathered until a future day. And, um, the future day, which is the final restoration, um, verse 11 to 15. So, like I said, this is what, you know, the, the Jews and the Israelites were looking forward to at the time of the Lord Jesus. They're looking for this restoration for, I guess though at the time of Lord Jesus, they were looking for a political leader who was going to save them from the Romans. And if you ask a modern day Jew, they'd probably say it's the same thing. They're looking for someone who's going to just be a political leader to, to bring great things to their nation. Verse 13, you'd get the, the abundance of the day of the Lord. You know, it says, behold the day, the day is come, says the Lord, and the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt, and so on and so forth. Um, so, again, this last section is the final restoration of Israel, the the blessings associated with it. And as per all the Old Testament prophets, there's no mention of the gap between the, the prophecies and the church and then the future part. And so it makes sense when we look, I guess, into New Testament books and things like that, why. The, the Jews of the time were a bit confused in terms of thinking that, um, the Messiah was just going to come and establish the kingdom because they saw just the, the blessings that was to come. They didn't see the picture of the church. And I right know we've all seen the chart that Mike's put up. And again, a lot of the prophets or all the prophets don't actually see that, that section of, of the church in the day we're living in now. But yeah, I guess that's just kind of a quick overview of um Amos it's it's a great read um it might seem difficult but it's not um just kind of bear in mind the the context and um that people are speaking about in terms of Israel and you know their history and it's actually quite a, a good book to read and it's shouldn't take you too long either it's, it's a nice short book and yeah full of I guess um information and it's it's also really nice to see the 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 dealings of God um, with the people of the time and um, how he's still dealing with us today.
1: One really beautiful thing I found in Amos, just something about the Lord Jesus. Um, Chapter 8, verse 9, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord Jehovah said, the Lord Jehovah I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the land in the clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. And I'll make it as the morning for an only son, and the end thereof as a bitter day. I never really thought about this before, but... Um, just thinking the, the point in history when the sun did go down at noon or went dark at noon, um, and that happened when the Lord Jesus was on the cross, and it was during the time of their feast, the feast of the Passover, and it became a day of mourning. They went home beating their breasts at the, um, when the Lord Jesus was crucified, and it was a mourning as for an only son, now, I know that um, Amos here is looking not only to the death of Christ, but when the Lord Jesus returns, and it really um, it compares so strikingly with Zechariah 10, uh, 12, verse 10, a section that we know um, is being quoted a lot. They shall look on me whom they pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for an only son. It shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So I think Amos here sees the death of the Lord Jesus and he sees the reaction of the children of Israel to their realization of who he was and that they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. But just amazing that the prophet can see these things sees the sun darkened at noon and likens it to mourning for an only son, the only begotten son. Just the, the imprint of God in all the scriptures pointing to the Lord Jesus. Also, just a little comment about Chapter 4. Um, Sarah mentioned Bashan, which speaks of Samaria. If you read Psalm 22, the bulls of Bashan are mentioned there and the bulls of Bashan are mentioned at the start of Chapter 4 of Amos. And if you keep reading that chapter, you'll find that, um, like Sarah's pointed this out, that they would they were bringing their sacrifices and they were multiplying transgression and they were just doing their religious service as total ritual, but it wasn't being accepted by God. Mm. And when the Lord Jesus was on the cross, he likened those around him to the bulls of Bashan, to these same kind of people. They were people who were tithing everything um, they had. So look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Come to Bethel and transgress. Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices in the morning, your tithes every three days, and burn a thank offering with leaven. Proclaim and publish voluntary offerings. For this pleases you, children of Israel, says the Lord Jehovah. These bulls of Bashan are ones who, like, they're religious men who are just religious and don't care for God and have no place for repentance. They don't acknowledge their own sin. They're, they're men that think they are upright and righteous and have a place to judge, but um, they won't judge themselves. So I just found that as a. A nice link in terms of explanation of the bulls of Bashan in Psalm 22.